0: And welcome to the Glacially Musical podcast. This is Nick Cameron, who is basically Glacially Musical, and I am joined by jacques Kiffy Cousteau. Oh. Sorry, I'm drinking, so I'm going to be wrong.
1: I, I'm also drinking, too. I'm drinking a beautiful Blue Moon Belgian White, typically served in a bar or a fine establishment with a slice of orange, but I ate my one orange for breakfast today. So mm. no orange, just beer.
0: I am uh, kicking it uh, Tommy style from Goodfellas with Cuddy and water. Spider didn't bring it, had to shoot him in the foot. So hopefully he doesn't say anything untoward to me when he comes back.
1: His whole family was rats, that kid. Oh, all of them rats. Total I'll rats. Di- I'll dig a hole. You think I can't dig a hole? What, where do we keep the shovels? Come on, where are the shovels? God, that's a good movie. That's the, maybe the best. I mean, like I I love Scorsese, my favorite director. De Niro's my favorite actor. In my top 10 is Casino, Raging Bull, and Goodfellas, all of them. And, I'm, and I love The Departed also, Scorsese. Um, and The Irishman is also, the more I watch it, the more I love it. It's just very long.
0: You know, I have never seen The Irishman, and I have never seen um, one of the other ones you said.
1: I'm Raging sorry, Bull? I am,
0: what? No, of Raging course the, I've seen Raging the, Bull. The,
1: the Departed. No, before that. One that mattered. Casino,
0: Casino. Oh, I've not seen Casino.
1: Casino is maybe been, better than Goodfellas. It's. That I story. have been
0: told it's basically Goodfellas too. So I really yeah, should see that.
1: Not quite but, Goodfellas. Um, too. Much more interesting, better act, better made story. Fair enough. But fair enough. I, uh, I watch it. Drink, watch it with your wife.
0: I don't drink a whole lot of whiskey because when I do see this glass, it was full.
1: Yeah, that's two fingers. Yeah.
0: That's what's left after I started drinking it. So that's why I don't drink a whole lot of whiskey, because um, I make poor, poor choices. Whiskey drink?
1: drink.
0: No, it's not a whiskey drink for me. I basically take the entire night of whiskey and put it in one glass. And then I get another. And then my wife says, are you drunk? And then I get worried I'm going to be in trouble for being drunk at the Christmas party, which I'm not. But I'm drunk, so I'm worried about it. So I don't drink whiskey much.
1: Understood. Understood. I, my, my blood type used to be whiskey when I used to go to the fine metal establishment in Brooklyn, Duff's Alcohol Abuse Center and drink constant whiskeys every Friday night, even though they have a very good selection of beer, including the Mastodon beer, which I really love and I should see if I can get it shipped to me because I do love that beer. Um, I ordered the helmet beer uh, from a beer company out here. I'm waiting for it to come in the mail. It is taking forever i
0: think honestly my love of whiskey is what has pushed me to a love of extraordinarily painful ipas because whiskey what probably because the thing about whiskey is whiskey can't taste good if it tastes good you have a problem so it's got to be a little bit you got to get that shudder. you got to get that bite you got to get that should i be drinking this kind of feeling and, you know, IPAs give me that, but in beer form. So, I mean, that's good. So, um, the reason, one of the reasons why I'm drinking the whiskey tonight is because um picked up, at, uh, you know, as many people know, my father-in-law died last year. And my father-in-law was, a, he was a big influence on my life in, in drinking and, and alcohol and, you know, the finer things and that sort of thing. And uh, I took, a lot of people had, he'd always kept quite a bit of a liquor cabinet for for parties and. Uh, he also had some of his favorites, and I decided, you know what? I'm going to take a couple of these for myself and have some toast to Bob. And um, I, I brought him home tonight, so I'm having a having a Cuddy Sark, cutty and Water, which is cheap as shit, blended Scotch whiskey that kind of tastes like socks, in a but in a bad way, not in a good Scotch way. And uh, just kind of remembering the good times that we had there. And, rest in peace, uh, rest in power. <clears throat> and looking forward um, to the future that we have within our family.
1: Nice. Out of curiosity, since he had such a fine taste for high-end liquor, did he also have fancy glasses and steins and fancy shot glasses? Was he a Not really, no. Uh, a no, model? he, uh, uh, my,
0: my father-in-law and my mother-in-law were some of the most well-to-do cheapskates I've ever known. Mm. He was able to take a very modest-paying job in the 80s and 90s, and turn it into what he turned it into. And uh, I don't want to get too personal about it because it'd, it'd be rude. It's not my story, but his uh his his uh, thriftiness was able to strongly provide later on in life. Good, and good. So no, the the glasses weren't didn't matter to him. His glasses were gifts that people had given him. Um, I actually have his Schlafly hat downstairs, which Schlafly was one of his absolute favorite breweries. Uh I bought that fucking hat cuz he okay. wouldn't buy one. Now I have it. Now it's my hat. <laughs> Got it. Got it.
1: This gives you an idea. Well, it remind, reminds me of when my father passed away uh, many moons ago and uh I kind of inherited everything of his and I have very little of it left but uh it was a thing. It was definitely a thing. He was a drinker. He was a scotch drinker. He was like, if it's if it's clear except vodka and gin, send it back. If it's brown, drink it down. I know how Bob was? Bob was. Uh, Bob mm-hmm. loved
0: whiskey. He loved whiskey. He loved beer, and that was one of the things we bonded over quickly. Um, and I'm not going to get. I'm I'm going to stop yeah, now because yeah. I don't want to yeah, go too to deep, the, deep. Yeah,
1: deep. let's let's uh, the lecture at hand. So is, obviously, uh, Iron Maiden podcast number two of four. Uh, as we wend our way through the, the the 80s, the great maiden 80s. I think uh,
0: it's arguable to say that right now we're looking at we're we're getting into the greatest probably five album punch of any metal band
1: ever. Any metal band. I mean, first Metallica Records, first Maiden Records, early Sabbath was Flawless. No. I think it was. We'll fight on to, that later. We're going to fight on it in a few months, but... um yeah it is unbelievable so they started out like i said i i kind of gingerly messaged you if i were to throw a ghost cult rating i don't think you when you wrote reviews you put grades on them i put no i didn't i put grades on things because i like qualifying qualifying things um comes from my critique in i would rather
0: tell somebody how it makes me feel
1: yes we do that that's
0: that's that's my thing
1: I would give the first Iron Maiden record a straight up nine of ten right out the gate. Nine of ten. And I would that, go without seven sanctuary.
0: A, I'd go seven and a half.
1: Okay, I'm, and we don't. I don't give a lot of high grades, so that's how. Pra- like I think it's very praiseworthy. I think Killers is a step, a slight step down. Agreed. Even more jinx. If you add Twilight Zone, it is. That's another hit in, on top of. I mean, it does have several of the best Iron Maiden songs without a doubt, but it's just like a little bit of a, a, not a dud. It's definitely not a bad album. It's just not as great as the one, the first one. And it's still, again, with Diano. You
0: you know, and like I had said last week, and I probably shouldn't repeat this, but I've been drinking and I don't give two shits. So I'm going back and listening to those two albums again for the first time in, God, I don't know how long, because I, I mostly listen to Iron Maiden live because their live albums are, frankly, beyond reproach. If you disagree with any of their live albums, I pretty much hate you already. You're going to have to really come back from that. That's a lot like, you know, saying you were a fascist until two weeks ago. Uh, Anywho, Sue, but I was amazed at how much more I appreciated those albums, but not just those albums. Because I I knew I loved a lot of the songs off of them from hearing Bruce sing them, but really appreciating Diano. And I think over the years, the Diano era has been mythologized in the same way that the Kiss 80s era was mythologized. That, oh, it was all bad. It was all bad. This part is the real good part, which that's salesmanship. And don't let a band's salesmanship ever steer you. Indeed.
1: Um, so in the interim, they come out of the gate with a huge multi-million selling smash hit completely unheralded. They have a follow-up record, also very successful, as we mentioned, a little step down, but very successful. Tour the world, start touring the world, which is you know unbelievable. They open for Judas Priest and maybe yes. caught Priest be- you know, in a downtime and upstaged them badly, which is what started a long time rivalry.
0: They also toured for Kiss on the Unmasked tour in the yeah, European totally, leg, yes. and, and, they and made completely them upstaged
1: them. Yeah, it probably made them look terrible.
0: Um, oh, it's like Van Halen with Black Sabbath.
1: Yeah. So they get so they go on tour, and for whatever reason, Paul is is gone. No, uh, I actually the
0: watched the documentary last week because I had insomnia, and there was a little bit that I missed the other several times I've watched it. Paul was unhappy. Was he? He, the way he described it was, I can't explain it. I was living my dream. It wasn't all bad, but I wasn't happy. So that was, so he really indulged. And I mean, we've all been there. We've all been sad and stressed. And, you know, alcohol is the anesthetic where adults that allows adults to live their lives. And that he just basically, you know, I don't know that he ever said, I'm done. But it was obvious he was done. He he didn't have it anymore. So and he, he never was going to have it again. Because, you know, everybody wants that life until they live it. Once you get, once you start living that life. My wife forever ago was a traveling, she had a traveling job. And I told her for years, oh my God, I envy you so much. And then I started having to travel for work. And it only took about two trips and I went, fuck, this sucks. And then imagine traveling day in, day out, all over the world, by yourself, in these know-nothing hotels, drinking yourself to death.
1: Yeah, not to mention, I have a feeling what you find out over the years is that Steve, it is Steve's band, it is Steve's will forced on everybody, it is Steve's drive that makes the band and if you don't jive with that you don't last very long and everybody people leave adrian left bruce left came back uh you know
0: i mean right now we are talking we're about to talk about the third album and the third official lineup
1: i mean yeah i mean on top of other people who came in and out but yeah we're not talking i'm
0: we're not talking about the the, you know the 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 pre-album lineups that's a different deal
1: this is this this so they so they get so they Paul leaves or is released, and they and they wanted one person and that was Bruce Dickinson, he of the unibrow and the fancy pants from Samson, not a great band, no, the, not, uh, not okay terrible. Band. not terrible, not great, uh, okay, new wave of British heavy metal band, forget Samson, about. not Saxon,
0: right? It, they were a scene band that we're never going to get out of that scene,
1: but he had the chops. And panache and personality and maybe whatever it was that they felt Paul didn't have, I, I still don't uh, subscribe to that. But okay, they Paul
0: <clears throat> compared to Bruce, Paul was limited.
1: Yeah, well, but also Paul is the guy who sang "Remember Tomorrow" on the first record, and I know, wrote, I know, and co-wrote it's, other things. It's, it's a lot
0: like comparing, and this is gonna, this is a terrible comparison, but it's a lot like comparing Steve Vai to Eddie Van Halen.
1: It's a lot like comparing Dio to Ozzy. And I love Ozzy, number one, forever. But like Dio is a technician and an incredible vocalist and stands on his own as one of the greatest singers ever. And Ozzy will not be remembered as one of the greatest singers ever by trade, but obviously he made the music that is the most enduring. Agreed. And also other things, you know, like also his solo career is amazing. So Maiden... They get in, they get in Bruce and they started, you know, and start writing this record that becomes Number of the Beast. That was recorded and written very quickly in the Maiden style. And as I said,
0: they did a world tour and a record every year. Of course, the years were longer back then.
1: They were young. (laughs) There was no internet back then. So you had to spend a lot of time with yourself. Um, Bruce, Bruce comes in. Steve was already writing like a more grandiose bombastic style to match Bruce's talents and this record is freaking unbelievable. It is one of the best metal records ever. It's one of the best rock records ever. It's one of the best records ever and for 82 even the production was better uh, same producer for the last record and several of their future records but like such a much better record than... They already had, a, in my opinion, a near-flawless record and a pretty great record, and this record is a fucking 10. Uh, uh, I, I, would go, I would go
0: eight and a half because there's a little bit... A little. This this is... A, a hair. A, a, okay. one, one serving of filler. And we'll, we'll get to that later. Uh, uh, 22 Acacia Avenue. Not great. I'm sorry. Not great.
1: But... We'll, we'll debate it. I think it is. There's another song that I like least. But, um, okay, fair but, enough. but, here,
0: but here's the thing, and I don't know that anyone's ever said this. The, the meeting of Lars and James, Lars, Lars Hetfield, Lars Ulrich and James Hetfield was probably one of the greatest chance meetings of all time. The second, however, is Steve Harris
1: and Bruce Dickinson. They are made for each other. Uh, one way or another, like musical soulmates... Um, I also don't know that Steve was gonna like Bruce. Also, is not gonna, to an extent, even though he was coming into their established superb band. Bruce is a guy who had to come in and develop his own voice, his own lyrics, sometimes his storytelling, and be allowed to be himself.
0: Well, he and told Steve the story had to
1: let him do that. Right, he told the story about the
0: monitors on stage. Um, Steve liked to walk up and be the star of the band and. Bruce was like, no, I'm the singer. So he started moving his monitors in the way so Steve couldn't do it. So Steve would come out between soundcheck and the show and move the monitors back. So then Bruce would move them back when he got on stage. And that's, that's exactly what, what Steve Harris needed. He didn't need a cadre of yes-men. He needed a couple yes-men and one person to challenge him. And that's what Bruce Dickinson did that Paul Deano could never do. That's true.
1: Very true. And
0: so. and frankly, Bruce Dickinson has the best voice in heavy metal of all time.
1: Arguably, yes.
0: Um, you, you might the only that. other people I would put in this league are King Diamond, which is completely anti-commercial,
1: Halford. and Ronnie James Dio. I would say Halford and James Hetfield. I wouldn't say
0: James later, but Dickinson from day one to forever.
1: Yes, that's which, fair. And to now, which is yeah. also like Jesus, how is this possible? He's lost a half
0: step with his surgeries, but he, I don't know. When I say I a half step, I mean a half step of range. I saw him when your range is, you know, Texas to begin with.
1: Yeah. He was pretty great. I saw him in 2019. He was pretty great. So um, Yeah. Um, so the so the, <laughs> just to do the chronology, the single comes out in in February of 82 and it's Run to the Hills. Maybe the best heavy metal song ever. Maybe, maybe, I possibly. If, if, if we're talking about traditional heavy metal,
0: most definitely. If we're talking about metal in general, because you know we all know how metal is. Yeah, it, yeah. It gets debatable, but if you're talking about you know this is basically a new band at this point, and well, this no. this is when I basically. Oh, you mean
1: the guys? You mean the guys? Yes.
0: Yeah, so, yeah it, it's it's a brand new band. Iron Maiden wasn't known throughout the world. And then they break through on number of the beast. Okay. So this is a band that nobody knows they break through. And if you listen to number of the beast, it's, it's an amazing song and there's no other metal song like it in terms of the music. And I mean, it's, it's still extraordinarily impressive to this day.
1: It is unbelievable. I mean, it's it's gobstopping for the time. It is unreal. Uh yeah, let's not forget this is the last record with Clive Burr. This is also, the first wanted to point out about Clive Burr. He stepped up his game. When I had mentioned
0: last week that there were songs on the first two records where he could have double bass, he double based on this one.
1: There's a little more double bass on here. It's a little tighter drumming. I think also the production tuning on the drums is better. Uh his best performances on this album. Sadly, it was to be his last record with them. Adrian steps up as a writer on this album and is given more credits and is allowed to kind of establish his style, even if you don't like the songs. And um, Dave is Dave came in on day one, basically, uh, you know, kind of coming in early. Not day one, but coming in early right. and contributing on those few records. But it's kind of the record where after touring the world behind a few records, and now getting to write some songs and come in with his own ideas, Adrian and Dave really become iconic on this album. Well, and this is about the time that Dave, not Dave, I'm sorry, that um,
0: Steve Harris is going to have to start seeding a little bit of control because there are very few bands where one person can write the whole kit and caboodle. And then on top of that, you're surrounded by an extraordinarily talented group of people. It's very rare to have a band like this where the talent is distributed so equally. That's and I, I think that's something that I've never heard anybody say about Iron Maiden. You know, you look at Metallica and I love Kirk Hammett, I love all the bass players they've had, but Metallica is in those two guys. And that most of the talent is in those two guys. You look at yeah. Iron Maiden and it's all of them.
1: Yeah. I would, I might argue differently, but I don't want to keep talking about Metallica. We did four episodes on those. I'm guys. sorry,
0: it's. It, I like to use the bigger bands to. For compared
1: yeah, compare to, to each other. That's fine. Shall we? Okay, shall okay. okay. Molly we... crew. All of oh, Crew's wow. talent in was Mickey. in Nikki and Tommy. Nikki and Mick. No, Nikki and Tommy. Well, whatever. Two guys. Maybe, maybe we'll do crew. We'll see. Maybe. I don't know. It's Vince. I can't listen to all these albums of him. Um, <laughs> the track by track, right? Uh... The album starts with Invaders, which reminded me of a Paul's kind of tune. It's a little more straight ahead.
0: Yeah, like yeah, I would, I'd change, say so.
1: Cool key change in the chorus, but it's like, you know, three minutes, 20 seconds, kind of punky. Love the, love the vocal. Invaders! That which, that right is right something one? that
0: Paul could have sang and sang yeah, well.
1: I think he could have. Maybe not it's... that high note, but like everything else.
0: He'd have brought yeah. it down a little bit. It would have been Invaders! Instead right.
1: of Invaders! It would have some grit to it. And sorry for that. Sorry for that. It's fine. That's fine. No, I mean everybody um, listening. Number two. Track two, side one, track two, children of the damned.
0: Nah. This is the one you don't like because you like less than a avenue, I'm guessing. I
1: I like this one also. I love right. this song actually. I love all of side one is. Like most of this album is perfect. This is a perfect album. Even with the one song I don't like that much, it's still a perfect album. And I'll and I'll get into why. Invaders a good track. Children of the damn, great lyrics, good tempo, cool song, four minutes and change, in and out, no fat on it. It's a good track. An excellent track, actually.
0: And they've already shown, they've already, you know, pulled out two cards in their out of their hand that are very different. That's and that's something that the original version, original or, or original earlier, I guess earlier versions of the band couldn't do.
1: Right. Uh number three. You are the new number six, the prisoner. Uh they like their old TV shows. Not a
0: fan. I'm sorry. It's it's just funny. And for somebody who is so pretentious about oh, metal is so serious and metal is amazing and Blah, 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 blah. Then they do a song about an old 50s television show. I I still have a hard time. It's a good song. It it really is. But and I mean, this sets them on the path to be singing about television and movies. And
1: uh, there's a lot of them. Even before this, they were doing books and movies and references, callback references. And I get it. Like, you know, again, I love the, I, I mentioned it in the first, you know, Rollins and his goof on them. We are a very literate band. We read a lot of books and watch a lot of telly. Uh, so not, not, sorry, all of my British friends who did going to disown me. But um, Prisoner is solid. So Adrian Smith, co-written song, really, you know, good riffs. Like if you if you didn't like the rest of the concept, the riffs are good. Um, you, you have mentioned the disdain for 22 Acacia Avenue. I love the song. Uh, I know people who are mixed on it. It is considered a classic Maiden song. It is on, like, their Greatest Hits album. Is it? Um, which, it is. Which one? Edward the Great. Oh,
0: okay. The only, which I consider the only, to be their
1: Greatest Hits album.
0: The only Greatest Hits album I remember is Best of the Beast.
1: Oh, that's also good.
0: And it's um, not on that
1: one. I know that much. Yeah, this is a this is another... Uh, the Prisoner is credited to Smith and Harris, and... 22 Acacia Avenue is credited to Harrison Smith. Um, Mm -hmm. I did not know this. There are like 70 Acacia Avenues in greater London, just 70 city, 70. And apparently Acacia Avenue is a catchism, a catchall for Mm -hmm. a plain lower to middle class block.
0: Mm -hmm. So it is
1: the Lincoln park of England If you lived in Lincoln, you know, Lincoln Park was meant to be like, oh, there's a Lincoln Park everywhere. And uh, there's a, you know, like uh, Acacia Avenue is the sort of uh, area of disrepute. And I believe, I believe it is the second or third. I believe 22 Acacia Avenue is the second of three in the Charlotte the Harlot um, trilogy, the Charlotte the Harlot trilogy. So it's another story, you know, supposedly about a uh, a street walking woman. Um, not that that's bad or anything, but that's what the to- you know the topic of the song is about. And yeah, uh, so-
0: it's just it's just a squiffy tune to me, and you know maybe it's the I don't know. Now that I have anything against prostitution or the oldest you know profession
1: in the world, but
0: well, I don't so- know.
1: Interestingly enough, though, like the first two maiden records are very strong out of the gate, like very powerful, great, indisputably great songs. You and I have split these pretty down the middle, or even you don't like three of these four. That you have no, I like I like the prisoner.
0: I like the prisoner. It's just the fact that it's the first one about TV or movies. Okay, It, it it makes it harder to really go rah rah get. That's all.
1: Well, they're going to make up for it on side two with three of the four songs that are f- ridiculous.
0: Oh, my God. You want to talk about a side of music? Right. I, I've always said that side four of uh, of Hooker and Heat is probably the greatest side of any side of music ever. Oh, this is number two, though.
1: Yeah. Um, number the number of the beast is Like the definitive heavy metal song outside of Black Sabbath, the original song.
0: It's also the definitive Iron Maiden
1: song. It surely is. You know, you got twin.
0: You got the twin leads. You got the harmony riffs. You got Steve Harris getting down, getting down, getting dirty. You got Clive Burr going to town, and you got Bruce Dickinson going, "Get on, boys, get on my back. We're gonna go. We're going." And it's just,
1: and it's a great song. It's a great lyric. It's everything about it. Like it's just unbelievable, and it kind of sets the tone. (laughs) for, I mean, Maiden was already being copied and bands were forming already around the idea of an Iron Maiden type sound, but this is the song. This is probably one of the most ripped off songs ever in any sh- style of music. As, as, as it, it should, should, be. Be.
0: As it should it, be. It's like stealing from Wild Thing, of course, yeah. GCD is a great chord progression.
1: Indeed. And
0: that, and this is just, this, this is metal defined. This is, yeah. you know, and right the- now, we, we are now into the 80s and metal has fully uh coagulated congealed into its own thing rather than is this a fad is this will it won't it and now we have iron maiden breaking through we have quiet riot breaking through around this time we have motley crew breaking through around this time and then iron maiden goes quintuple platinum
1: true uh somehow impossibly Number of the Beast and Absolute Banger is followed by Run to the Hills. Which is just as good. <laughs> what the shit? I know, right? And I mean,
0: think about this for a second. Bruce, Bruce comes on and on his first record they drop three not just Iron Maiden classics not just metal classics but three of the most classic tunes of the entire decade if not the rest of the century. First day out just click oh yeah let's just show up and make history uh how many times i don't know four sure why not well, let's just do it four times and they did
1: pretty amazing if and again i think children of the damned and acacia avenue are also not quite as good as those two obviously but excellent so and i like the prisoner and i like invaders so like invaders yeah i think my issue with with children of
0: the damned and the prisoner it, they're just a little bit less yeah, sure. And it's like you know, if you have four Wayne Gretzky's and one Brett Hull, you're going to notice Brett Hull.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I love my hockey references. I love them too. I love me some hockey. I uh, I'm really hoping to go see a San Jose Sharks game this year
0: because I, uh, I live
1: within striking distance. I uh, have a
0: Charter or Spectrum Internet and cable decided to up my bill by another thirty five dollars. So this year I'm going to be a minor league only fan. I'm going to get the AHL package and I'm going to get the LNAH package. So I'm going to get to see the legitimate AAA minors and the punchy fighty minors.
1: you like the punchy fighty. Um, the seventh song on the album is Gangland. Perhaps my least favorite song on this. Still a very good song. but a little I don't Squiffy. A, I don't think it's a great song, but I think it's very good.
0: It, it's good enough that it doesn't feel like a letdown. But everything is going to feel a little let down based on those other three. And that's just not fair to anyone. You know, I mean, Pavel Datsuk compared to Bobby Orr. He's a letdown. Sorry, I had to do it again. Yeah,
1: it's fine. I, um... I, uh... Yeah, Gangland's just okay. It is credited to Smith and Burr and not Harris. One of the few non-Harris compositions uh, ever. Smith and Burr? Yeah, Clyde Burley gave him a writing credit, I guess.
0: Oh, you know, what? Uh, what's you know what's the old joke? What's the last thing the drummer said before he got fired? What? Hey, guys, I wrote a song.
1: Hey, guys, I wrote a song. Hey, everybody, Ringo wrote a song about a yellow submarine. We're going to put that <laughs> right on the fridge. <laughs> um, again, I love comedian Bill Hex has an incredible joke about that. It's like, how high were these guys that they let Ringo write a song? Anyway... <laughs> I had to scrape Ringo off the ceiling with a spatula to get him to sing the vocal. Uh, Closing out the most perfect Iron Maiden album, arguably the best Iron Maiden album, Hallowed Uh, Be Thy Name. I don't think it's arguable. I think it is. It it just is. Hallowed Be Thy Name. Holy fuck. Another unbelievable all-time great 10 of 10 If You Don't Like This Song, I Don't Like You kind of track. It is so good. Yeah, yeah. I don't even like religion, and I love this song so much; it's unreal. This song, I mean, going one, this is probably the
0: best song on the record. It's it is the exact thing that Iron Maiden was going to become and never could be before. Yeah, you have this it's, big,
1: it's
0: Paul Diano could not do a thirty-eight second holding of a note.
1: No. And that's just nuts. That note is nuts. The whole lyric is nuts. The vocals are nuts. The riff is great. The many, many riffs of doom on this album. So many great riffs on the album. So many great riffs just in this three, four iconic riffs just in this song alone. Um, I tried singing this at karaoke once. No, nah, you can't. See, there's a reason
0: why I do uh, uh, basically 90% rap tunes. There's no melody. I'm great at no melody. <laughs>
1: um, I want to shout out the Japanese version of this album because it has a song that has been retrospectively put into the canon of uh, Number of the Beast, which is Total Eclipse, which is an excellent song also. was a single, was a Japanese album version. Uh, later reissues of the album now have Total Eclipse on the album. Another so burrow credit. It, another Dave Murray, Dave Murray gets a credit. Burr gets a credit. Um, and yeah, pretty unbelievable album. Let's talk about the album cover by Derek Riggs, where Eddie is puppet mastering Satan. Like, holy shit, everybody! Like, you know, there you know there are iconic album artworks, and we've already said that Riggs' style is untouchable. But like, this is maybe also the best or second best album cover ever from Iron Maiden and from Derek Riggs and I mean like yeah I, I'm sorry great.
0: this this album it it is the best of everything Iron Maiden ever did which is unfortunate well that, you know it, it, it kept it up I mean it's not to say that you know and we'll get into the next record but it, it's not to say that everything else was bad but you know I don't know it's like winning the championship of your rookie year, Hank Aaron.
1: Eh, It's true. It is. It's a lot to live up to. They managed to, um, and yeah, this record is yeah. I mean, it's this joy to even talk about this record. It's it's not fair that we get to spend uh, time chatting about this flawless masterwork and finding minute flaws. Or this is an average song, you know, in the way that the things sh- that should not be isn't an, isn't an, is a good song. On a great album, like it's not fair to any other band. No, like it's album. it's it's not just... even fair
0: to them that I can say, well, you know, this song could be better. It it, it truly is an amazing album. It yeah. is the the kind of thing that you listen to, and it's if you don't like metal, it, it it will make you love metal because it is every it is the best of all things metal. It is melodic. It is guitar driven. It is, it's, it's completely musical and it's brutal and heavy and smart. That's one of the things, excuse me, whiskey comes back. It comes back. You all, um, one of the things that I think metal people forget about that are outside of the circle as it were, is that metal by and large is very smart We're not, you know, and, you know, you look at the kinds of things they're writing about. You know, you've got Number of the Beast, which that is probably one of the most genius songs because they're writing about somebody seeing a satanic ceremony, not the ceremony itself. So it's not like, oh, we approve of this. So it's a genius moment because they can get the notoriety of the devil with plausible deniability of like, what are you talking about? We said we're going to call the cops. And then on top of that, you know, hallowed be thy name. That is a think piece about mortality. That is the basis of, I would argue, ride the lightning. But that's besides the point. Then run to the hills. Okay, in 1982, some white dudes we're talking about you know what maybe they treated the natives wrong over here in 82
1: <clears throat> you could not have indians by anthrax or any of the testament songs or anything else not that you couldn't have them but this came first and uh Inspired many. Uh, Apparently, I don't know how true this is, and you have watched the documentary, and I really haven't. I guess that Bruce was heavily involved in many of the songs, but could not have a writing credit on the album because he was under contract still to Samson.
0: Mm. I don't remember them talking about that, but it was also hard to understand a lot of what they said. The 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 mastering, well, the mastering of the the documentary was bad because, especially because of their accents. It's like when Steve would talk. (laughs) <laughs> what's, what's
1: interesting though is that the maiden guys are all kind of londoners which they have the better accents as opposed to my my dear northerners my Geordies from the north are not you know, steve the hamburgers, rubble 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 he
0: talks like Den dennis from from bad news jesus
1: uh yeah i'm sorry. That's, that's a good drop come on that's a good reference that's a pretty good reference um but yeah, I mean, there's nothing else to say. This record's unbelievable. And uh, I can't, they could have quit being a band here at this point And we'd still be talking about this album.
0: Yeah, it's basically dark. So It's basically their dark. It's heavy metal dark side of the movie.
1: It is. Uh, Children of the Damned is apparently based on the film <laughs> Village of the Damned. Shocking. <laughs> I,
0: I assumed it was based off of the movie Children of the Damned. Uh, I, Maybe that movie didn't come out yet. And then, so what if, and hear me out on this one. What if Iron Maiden writes a song on Village of the Damned and then the writers of the movie write a movie based off of Iron Maiden's writing of the movie called Children of the Damned?
1: I don't know. That would be pretty great. Um, Probably happened. They just don't want to mention it. Yeah. So that's apparently, just really quickly, for a last thing, as great a band as Maiden was up to this point, and as, you know, had sold many albums and made some money for the early 80s for their time. This is the record where they get on the radar kind of of pop culture in a bad way, where they were accused because of the lyrics and the, how will be that name? The, you know, uh, Number of the Beast, the album cover. They were strongly opposed and protested for being Satanists, which could not possibly be true. Much everyone sad. in
0: America was a Satanist at this point.
1: Well, well, Americans protested their shows and thought they were Satanists. Yeah,
0: but everyone in America was a Satanist based on what Americans said about other Americans. So The Satanic Panic was, and I mean, it's hard to explain that to somebody who didn't live through it. It was everywhere, and we were, it was like, it was like a new red scare. But although the Red Scare hadn't ended yet, we were looking for the new thing. So, but yes, yes, I'm sorry.
1: No worries. Um, I think this is a good place to put a pin in this and take a slight break so we can reset and do the next album. But uh, what a fantastic album. And it's almost not fair that I get to talk about this with one of my favorite people. It's unfair. I
0: appreciate that.
1: To everyone else. I'm sorry, everyone else. You're not, no <laughs> one will ever have as fun a conversation about this album with me as you just did.
0: I appreciate that, and I, I love talking about pretty much just damned anything with you. But let's take a five second break, and the magic of the internet. We're back. We're back, and in that meantime, the world has changed. It hasn't at all,
1: um, but it could have. You don't know. No one knows. Basically, Iron Maiden, like you said, four straight years in a row. Basically, every 12 to 14 months, they had a new album. And in that time, they had a string of singles. They were freaking industrious. They toured the whole world. They kept upping the ante and upping the ante of their writing, of their talent, of their production, of their stage show.
0: I'm sorry. Real quick. I just want to mention the... The last thing I want to say about the last album, and I I forgot to mention this, it was a 40 minute record. In 40 minutes, they changed the world. Maybe they need to look back at that 40 minute timeline, but that's just me.
1: Well, it's hard now. Um, I know, I know. Almost the limit. It's interesting that the uh, limitations of CD and vinyl haven't been just obliterated by streaming totally.
0: Because that's because forty-five minutes is the right length of time for music. We have been conditioned for the past seventy years. An album is forty is this thirty to forty-five minutes. You go longer than that, it gets squiffy. You go shorter than that, it's not. It's not. In, in the seventies, it was thirty
1: minutes, and that was know, thirty-five was considered too long. Like, people know, won't I sit know. for thirty-five minutes and listen. I did, but I people did. won't. People won't. Um, very good points all. Good points. I'm glad you made them. Uh they tore the world again. They again write another record. And they go down to the Bahamas for the first time. This is the Hang Bahamas. On, did we miss
0: something? I don't know, did we? We did.
1: What did we miss? Fourth album, fourth lineup. Oh yeah, Nico. I, I was going to get to that, Nico. Oh, was, I'm sorry. Or Nico if you're Greek. I don't know. That was Nico. Yeah, it's probably Nico. Um adorable, lovable Brutal, weirdo, weirdo, fun, drummer, Dr- just drummer, fun, fun guy. Uh, his name is Michael. He goes by Nico. I don't know why. Uh, a so buddy of mine from
0: Mexico, big Iron Maiden fan, always called
1: me Nico. That's funny. Um, no idea why. Uh, Closest I ever
0: got to a nickname.
1: That's pretty cool. Um, well, when you have like the name like Nick, I know. It's already kind of a built-in nickname. Um, they get it. They, Clive, I forget what happened with Clive. Clive leaves or is not dismissed, but he kind he he was was of... Dis- he
0: was dismissed-ish. It's just, you know, he... They, they felt he wasn't up
1: to, up to snuff. Yeah, that's too bad. He certainly had his best performance on the record right before, though. Yes, he did.
0: But in fairness, we also haven't heard a live record with him on it.
1: No, that's too bad. He did, you know, we didn't. Um you know, and he's passed on now and uh he look, was in other big bands including Alcatraz. Um so, look, the dude was on Number of the Beast. Yo, say There God, you go. That iconic drum beat is those are his beats, man. Mm-hmm. Steve oh, yeah. Harris Steve Harris can do a lot of things. He don't play the drums. No, he do not. Um so They go and they go down, they get Nico, and they go down to the Bahamas, which was becoming like a very cool thing to do, go out of your country to go record and vacation record. Still with Martin Birch, because of course, why would you now go away from him? Um, Do you know why he wasn't on the first one? Was he busy doing somebody else's record?
0: No, Iron Maiden was too scared to ask him. That's funny.
1: That's the only reason. they were unknown.
0: But he he told that story in the documentary and giggled.
1: That's funny. Um, yeah, I mean, he had produced Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and a bunch of other. And Rainbow, I mean, like his resume is ridiculous. They probably couldn't afford him for the time. To be honest, they probably couldn't have afforded him. Um, Maybe he just wanted to say, "Oh yeah,
0: I would have done it if they'd asked." But that was, yeah. you know, he because he said he asked
1: them during this during the sessions. Why didn't you ask me last time? Well, we didn't think you'd say this. Right. For people that don't know Nico's backstory out of Maiden, the two bands that he's best known for are the Pat Travers Band. Which is oh my God. Hugely influential on Pantera and Van Halen and certain bands like that. Sort of boogie-woogie rock. Uh, and then Trust, which is best known for Antisocial, the song Anthrax covered. And the, uh, there's another one, too, that they did also. Sets that anthrax they love that band you're you're Uh,
0: above my kin right now so you just got you
1: so yeah so they go down to the bahamas and they record this this fourth record they already like
0: one thing one thing i wanted to jump in here um we've had four albums four lineups and they have not made a big deal once about changing members
1: very unsympath you know uh, unsentimental about people in this band you know whenever
0: a band changes members oh you know we love jimmy johns but we had to get johnny jim because you know jimmy johns he's just tired he just got married blah 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 iron maiden no just don't even mention it it's like oh you know so so retired, fuck them mm. sorry um yeah don't
1: worry about it um so The two singles from this album, I'm going to just start here. I don't know why I talk about singles. I probably shouldn't, but I'd start. No, singles matter. These are my two favorite Iron Maiden songs. My two, Peace of Mind is arguably my favorite Iron Maiden record, this or Power Slave. And I love Number of the Beast also equally. But like, my two favorite Iron Maiden songs are on this album. And it's pretty, like, how did they One of my absolute favorites is on this record, but see if you can guess it. Uh, well, I'll I'll, men- I'll mention the singles because I didn't mention them by name. Uh, this is the first time actually, a- and uh, yeah, so they, again, their pattern was always to release singles in between albums right before an album and then a single right after, which is still kind of practiced. Uh, so Flight of Icarus, my all-time favorite Iron Maiden song, which I also butcher at karaoke and cannot- Love that, that one. one. Love it. In the name of my father, I'll fly except a thousand octaves higher and I can't do it.
0: Um, uh, I, I'm a big, I, I love Greek mythology. I have been reading Greek mythology for 40 same. years, you know, 40 years. So,
1: and then, and then The Trooper, which is or maybe the most fun Iron Maiden song possible.
0: You know, that was the song, the first Iron Maiden song my daughter could recognize that wasn't Number of the Beast by age four. So, but my, we have not named my favorite Iron Maiden song, which is on this record.
1: Okay. You get, uh, you get, talking, one get,
0: you get one I was, guess.
1: I was talking about the singles. Sorry, I'm sorry. If I have to guess, is it Die With Your Boots On? No. Okay, well, then I guess wrong. We'll, you'll mention it when we get to it. I'll um, mention it then, yes. So, um, the album begins with another movie reference, Where Eagles Dare that's a movie i didn't know that one yeah it's a it's a world war ii bomber movie oh fair enough um this album has arguably the most diverse set of writing credits ever on an iron maiden album i'm pretty sure
0: yeah it's uh this is the first three the first three maiden records we've dealt with have said you know writer steve harris except where listed and it doesn't have that you know or he goes there, steve harris revelations bruce dickinson flight of icarus smith dickinson Die with your boots on, Smith Dickinson Harris Trooper Harris, Still Life, Dave Murray Harris Quest for Fire Harris, Sun and Steel Dickinson Smith Entertaima Land Harris. So, I mean, right. Steve's all over it as we, we you would expect,
1: but mm. the the iron grip is loosening. Indeed. Um, so, so we're Eagles there. Great opener, great song. Mm. Mm-hmm. They still play it live.
0: Amazing song, truly amazing
1: song. Yeah, uh, first full Bruce Dickinson credit uh, ever on track two, Revelations. Solid to good, not great. You know, but very the first, good.
0: And the first two tracks are longer than every track off the previous. record.
1: They're, yeah, they're both long. They would both be little at this point until later in the album the longest one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and actually, yeah, like they're a little more progressive. They're a little more riffy.
0: Um, they're they're quickly changing.
1: Yeah, which is probably why Flight of Icarus as the third song was the first single, because it's, sh- it's the shortest track on, uh, or not on the whole record, but it's the shortest track on side one, which makes for a good single, actually. Um, yeah, agreed. Get right it, into it. it. It's a much, it's, well, I
0: mean, at that time, a single was three to four minutes, period. There 349. was 349. If, if you played, excuse me, that was when they would uh, lie about the times on songs. To get them played, uh, it's it's four and a half. I'd say it's three thirty nine. And so, yeah, I mean, where Eagles Dare revelations would not be good singles because they'd never be played in that
1: nineteen eighty three. Indeed, indeed. So, uh, Flight, of Icarus, Flight of Icarus, Adrian Smith, Bruce Dickinson, absolutely a flawless track, unbelievable, Completely. great riff, great lyrics, great vocal part, great beat, mid tempo. They play it in almost every show. They almost never not play it on tour. It's still awesome. The crowd gets extremely pumped whenever it comes on. I get extremely pumped. It is my favorite Iron Maiden song.
0: Well, I love it when they play anything off of peace of mind that isn't the trooper. Right. Oh. <laughs> I love the trooper. Don't get me. I mean, it's impossible to not love the trooper. You you have to. But and I didn't mention this earlier, which I should have before we got track by track. But Peace of Mind was the first Iron Maiden album that I owned. Oh no way! So I had, you know, this is the album I listened to fifty times in a week before seeing Iron Maiden live and, uh, in '92, which I've told that story a hundred times. I'll tell it hundred more, but not today. And you know, they played The Trooper in that on that show, Fear of the Dark tour. I mean, that that they didn't play anything else. Mm,
1: interesting uh die with your boots on closes outside one smith dickinson harris that one's actually a little
0: squiffy for
1: me is it it's a pretty solid song i don't think it's a 10 of 10 but it's it's very good i call it a six and a half seven all right it's it's a good
0: it's a good end to the side yeah They, they put it in the right place if nothing else
1: They did that, they did as they did with the opener of side two, The Trooper. I know it gets played out, but it is an incredible song.
0: And that is a song that you need to put at the beginning of a side, whether or not they had put it at the beginning of side one or side two. Because again, we're talking about 1983. In 1983, the idea of a CD did not exist, the idea of not flipping or not clicking programs or whatever, because you had, that time there were three basic media types. There were records, tapes, and eight tracks. Eight tracks were dying. Uh, Eight tracks actually probably had died by this point. And so basically you had two mediums, that side one and side two. So instead of thinking of it as a 45 minute cut of music, you basically looked at it as two 25 minute cuts of music. Hmm. It's just the way it was back then.
1: Very interesting. Trooper is great, written by Harris. Four minutes and 10 seconds of brilliance. I know. The right.
0: And, I mean, the right length.
1: Yeah, and, and again, live, it is a centerpiece with the, uh, you know, Bruce puts on the red coat and waves the Union Jack and Eddie marches out. And it's in, the, in, in the
0: red coat. I mean, yeah.
1: uh, if I
0: were them, I wouldn't have the trooper listed at any particular moment. I would have that in the gun ready to go as needed. Hmm.
1: Fair enough. Uh, track number six or the second track on side two is Still Life. Always a fascinating song to me. Dave Murray and Harris' composition. Which, and, which uh, one is that?
0: I'm, is that the pit. one about looking in the pit?
1: It's pretty solid. Yeah. It's it's uh, solid. I don't think it's spectacular, but I think it's okay. Hank... Yeah, that's
0: the one about looking into the pit. Can't you see it's not just me they want you to? That one. That that's that's a really good track. And the the lyrics have no I
1: I think the, the title, title doesn't necessarily yeah. make connect to the rest of the song. It's one of Correct. weird one of the rare times with Iron Maiden that that happens. But yeah, it's like what does this title have to do with anything? Nothing. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. That I I really do dig that song. It is a An introspective song with an unreliable narrator which is not common for iron maiden it's there it it just gives it a level of discomfort that makes this record awesome a little bit of what's going on kind of thing
1: yeah that's fair uh quest for fire is next another harris composition another solid song uh eh, um, it's,
0: it's, it's, it's kind of, it's okay. It's okay. It, it, it's okay. It's not amazing.
1: <clears throat> Sun and Steel is next, which I'd rather like. There's a metal festival named for it. And it's a, again, Dickinson and Smith seem to find each other on this record. And if you go back and think about the songs that Bruce purportedly co-wrote on Number of the Beast, those were also Smith, you know, tracks. So I think the two of them kind of develop a rapport, a writing rapport. Obviously, look, Bruce is the singer and lyricist, partial lyricist of these songs. He's gonna contribute. But like I think they start to like assert themselves as the equal writing partner to Steve.
0: Well, and that's that's something that Iron Maiden needs because again, Steve is just not he's a bass player. He's not gonna have Hey,
1: hey.
0: Look, there's only one Roger Waters.
1: Okay. He, you know, Roger didn't write on the bass, but I know what you mean. Um, except for money, um, so the Sun point is, is yeah, it, it
0: takes a lot to for a band that moves as quickly as Iron Maiden does. You look at Kiss. Kiss had four writers, essentially three and a half. If you can't believe this, so they had three and a half writers. They're doing as many as much music as Iron Maiden was doing. They were doing it more albums, same amount of music, but Iron Maiden hits way more often and kissed it.
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, and then to close the album, To Tame a Land. Favorite song. Oh, is that your favorite song? That is erroneously was uh, titled Dune. I hate Uh Dune. Because it's, it's based on Dune.
0: Tried to read that book so um, many times.
1: Yeah, so Dune and the song is a combination of a, is Harris claims that he was inspired by Frank Herbert's Dune and also sort of the sort of history of Great Britain. Had a parallel uh, this, between
0: the two. This song actually got me an A in mystery and science fiction in high school because uh, I couldn't finish the book, but I could finish this song.
1: Interesting. Uh, it, it, they played it live when I saw them. West and yeah, in Brooklyn, and I was just, really no no they did two nights, so they tried to change the set list a little. What? You? Oh, okay. Because I, I had never. Uh because
0: I've got Legacy, I've got In vivo, I've got Rock and Rio.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, then they rarely have played
1: it, but they just started doing and it And Book of Souls. It's it's not on any and of he them. gave like a big intro, like a speech. Um, and I think he mentioned Highlander for some reason, which is what? not related to this. Like, I don't know why. If you have a fancy the show Highlander, which that could not have been out at this time, right? This is 84. Um, but anyway, um, interestingly enough, the 95 this is the first Iron Maiden album that doesn't have a standalone single that is the equal of a song on this album, or like they don't have an additional song left over that ends up being kind of a minor hit for them, like Twilight Zone and like Sanctuary. And so um, it was just this album and that was it. And you got the two singles and they're both brilliant as fuck. And then when they reissued this in 95, they did a Montrose cover And a Jethro Tull cover, which I always thought was very interesting because they're just not what you would imagine Iron Maiden would do, but they did. I want those and I don't
0: remember that stuff and I also don't care.
1: Okay, cool. Um, Don't be, I'm not. Uh, So yeah, Nico, another Derek Riggs, probably one of, like, I think even though people love the Peace of Mind and the Straight Jagged and the Rubber Room Rubber Room Eddie I, I don't know that this is one of the better covers it's good. It's cool. I like that it's understated compared to Number of the Beast. That is so wild. See,
0: I really loved that cover. Keep in mind, this is not long after... Now, I'm, you're, you're a few years older than me. Not that Keithy is like decades old. I mean, a few years older, but at the time, those few years matter significantly. So, in 1983, when this comes out, I'm seven. And six months before this drops... I see Quiet Riot Metal Health. So metal is straitjackets in the rubber rooms. So Iron Maiden comes out with a cover in a rubber room, which has nothing to do with anything else, just the cover. But it's, except they did it better. You know, it's like dingy and gross. It's not this delicious white room that you know Alice Cooper went to a couple of years ago. It's a sanitarium in the 1800s where if he's lucky, he's gonna get morphine and hopefully he gets addicted.
1: Um I'm okay. sorry, what? Uh let's let's continue to poke fun at these uh references to the songs. Lyrically, the album Meeting of Wikipedia, which is not a you know a fact a, a statement of fact, but a source of sources, to Tame a Land Inspired by Dune by Frank Herbert. Sun and Steel based on the life of Samurai Miyamoto Musashi. Wait, that's based on Musashi? Yeah, Sun and Steel, which is apparently also the character in their current music video. I would um, make the
0: suggestion they might want to read the Five Rings again.
1: They might. Um, Although the the title is taken from an essay by Yukio Mishima about Musashi still life is influenced by a book the inhabitant of the lake i'm so i'm never going to
0: get past this i this musashi thing that is nothing like musashi
1: i'm sorry i get it sorry. i will uh, stop the, now. the trooper is inspired by one of the greatest poems of all time alfred lord tennyson's the charge of the light brigade
0: i think we all knew that one
1: film references are also present where eagles dare oh are the film on, ref, film references in this in this album quest of quest for fire I saw that movie and uh Revel, did we talk wait did we talk about revelations i mean briefly it's a good song it's it's a it's a very good song and Love that song. wrote it mostly himself um and and revolutions is apparently also inspired by alistair crowley or some of it is oh no flight Land is actually partially influenced by crowley also so that's interesting i'm sorry what that's what he says. That's I mean, I didn't write this, so I don't know. Um, there's a hidden track on Still Life where Nico is saying some gibberish and it's backward masked so they could take a shot at um the people were calling them Satanists. Um, yeah, it's just bizarre, but you know, it they spent 18 weeks on the charts for that time. That's unreal. That's like Michael Jackson thriller style um i was trying to explain
0: to my daughter the other day and i hate to go back to metallica because i'm sorry you yelled at me but you know metallica's black album was on anyway 18 weeks that's basically half a year for half a year one album was the height was one of the highest selling records when you think about how many records are released in the year what is it about four thousand? Let's assume four thousand because that's probably about right. Mm. And if you're one of the top two hundred selling albums for half that year, it's ridiculous. Especially at the time when you're in a, when you're knee deep in a genre that people are still considering silly and questioning whether or not it's fat.
1: Right. Um, it's pretty incredible. I'm, I'm going to make a, a sort of an assertion here except for a couple of throwaway songs on Killers. So they have four albums and give or take a little less than 40 songs, because there's those extra singles, yada, yada, yada. They have almost no bad tracks. They have tracks that aren't great, but you said Squiffy, but Squiffy's not bad. Squiffy's just Squiffy. Agreed. They don't they, have any garbage songs. No, there's, four albums. there's
0: not one you know, there's as we've discussed, you know, as you've brought back, 30-30-30. You know, Kiss is a 30 30, 30. but better,
1: They're better than 30-30-30 on three of these four albums.
0: You know, 30-30-30 is 30 killer, 30 filler, 30 chiller. I would say right now, at this point, Iron Maiden is going 70-30-0. 70 killer, 30 filler, zero chiller. And we're talking about a band. And it's... And frankly, my perspective might be skewed because we're talking about one record that has Number of the Beast, Run to the Hills, and Hallowed Be Thy Name on it. Three of the greatest metal tunes of all time in one session.
1: Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Then you Um, fill
0: that up with The Trooper, Flight of Icarus, Where Eagles Dare. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe my perspective on Iron Maiden is skewed because their highs are so fucking high.
1: They're pretty untouchable. Any final thoughts on this uh, before we put a plug in Maiden episode number two, Nick?
0: I, I guess the only real change, I w- the only real thing I could say is, you know when you look at Iron Maiden, the album, self-titled, versus Iron Maiden, Peace of Mind, you have two people that are on both of those records. And yet they continue album after album. You know, well, you have Iron Maiden to Killers, a little bit of a drop, but they continue to jump up every album, even though even though they're changing members like I changed sock, which isn't enough. And. they're still the, the brand, the Iron Maiden brand, the Iron Maiden sound has changed. It's only become more. Help me out. I,
1: I, I don't, I'm i losing my perspicacity here. I mean, uh, yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, they really set the blueprint here. They have several more records to go this decade that are also excellent. Which is, uh, I mean, think about that. We're talking about an, a band with like nine albums in the 80s. They were really industrious. And all those singles. You could almost get a whole other album out of those singles by mm-hmm. themselves. Oh, yeah. Um, I, mean, I mean, Sanctuary, Twilight Zone. Uh, you know, by themselves, would all be you know their bangers. Um, in the next episode, we're gonna get, get to cover two more albums at a live album. That is pretty unbelievable. All three of them. Um, uh, you know, it's
0: not even fair to bring that live album up
1: because, that frankly,
0: that is the best metal live
1: album. That's why we have to talk about it. Fair but, enough. Uh, still not fair. It's still not fair. Iron Maiden ruling the decade, and we're not even halfway in yet.
0: We're halfway. What's 1983. Yeah, 84.
1: 84.
0: Oh, are we up to 84?
1: Yeah, it's 1984.
0: It's see, yeah. And Iron Maiden is like, fuck you guys. Fuck everyone. Eat this ass. I got
1: you. Like, Eat this, this undead, undead ass. <laughs> In fact, yes. Um, yeah, they could do no wrong. It was really a good time to be their fan. And again, the, you know, love Judas Priest, but they're, they were a little up and down. For a while. I, uh, I like
0: Judas Priest. I don't love them.
1: I love Ozzy. Two brilliant records at Randy. And then kind of Randy passes away and slacks a little. Uh, a little Dio I Sabbath. Did. Dio Sabbath, fantastic. But yes. Dio leaves to do Dio. We're fantastic. Dio is fantastic, but for a while. For a while. But Iron Maiden is
0: eternal. I, I, I would argue, and I, I don't want to give away the ghost. But I would argue that Iron Maiden probably only has three or four bad records. Period.
1: I'm not even sure they're all bad. I just think they're just records that don't...
0: A Matter of Life and Death is bad. There's no... that, That one is irredeemable.
1: Fair enough. Um... I'm not a huge fan of Benjamin Briege looking back on it now. At the time, I was really excited about it like because they were and then I was like, oh no, I don't really like this at all. This I remember, <laughs> see, I bought that. I bought it at Hot Topic, I think. The yeah. whole places because
0: they still sold records and nobody else did. I'm sorry, 2004 was a weird time. Sure and, and I remember getting it home going, uh, It'll be better next time
1: I listen to it. Eh, well, luckily we're not gonna do it for this series, but um it never got better. But I mean we're we're talking
0: about a band that just continually hit the mark. They grabbed the brass ring eight, nine times, ten times in a row. That's amazing.
1: And I have nothing else this week. I have nothing else to add to that except what a pleasure once again. And uh
0: Oh, God, quit talking about how awesome I am because you're the one that's clearly the, the, the good one. I'm drunk.
1: I don't know. I'm pretty drunk at the time myself. All right. Sir. Fair enough.
0: So, anything else? No, sir. All right. Thank you for listening. This is, thank you for Kifi. Uh, oh, God. I didn't. What the, the, the Jacques Kifi Cousteau for joining us this week, who's basically a co. We haven't figured it out. I don't know if I have to pay him for any ad money if I get any in 2018 mm-hmm. or mm. wait. 2017. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, this is a Glacier Musical podcast. It probably doesn't play, I don't fucking know.